Welcome to episode 236 of the Truth Quest podcast, the truth about the 5,000-year leap, 28 ideas that changed the world. After the last episode, number 235, the truth about communist goals for America, I needed a little pick-me-up. With the last episode playing off of Cleo Skousen's book, Naked Communism, and with my recommendation for his other book, The 5,000-Year Leap, I thought it might be appropriate to pull my copy off the shelf, dust it off, and summarize it for you guys. The premise of the book is that in 200 years, the United States contributed more to humankind than all civilizations combined over the last 5,000 years. Science, agriculture, technology, communications, etc. It's everything the communists and the hate America crowd are trying to tear down and end the 5,000-year leap. The author is not shy to suggest that only by the hand of God, by providence, does the United States come into existence. Too much had to go right at precise moments for anyone to conclude that a bunch of relatively poor farmers were able to declare their independence from the most powerful country on the planet, defeat the most powerful army on the planet, and survive and thrive afterwards. What explains the unprecedented levels of advancement? Freedom, liberty, free market capitalism, it's pretty simple. No other civilization ever practiced it like the United States, which explains the mighty rise and, sadly, the fall of the U.S. due to the arrogance and corruption of our political class. As the author says, quote, Our purpose is to present the founders' 28 great ideas in their original simplicity and mostly in their own words. After all, it's their story. They are the ones who made the fantastic 5,000-year leap possible. He goes on to explain that these 28 major principles provided the intellectual, political, and economic climate for this 5,000-year leap. Consider this episode a refresher course on how America is supposed to be. The first idea is the only reliable basis for sound government and just human relations is natural law. The Constitution was largely written to protect our God-given natural rights. Things like habeas corpus, limited government, separation of powers, and checks and balances are all based on natural law. Think about contracts, family, marriage between one man and one woman, equal justice, the right to bear arms, all of it based on natural law, and all foundational concepts for America. The next idea is a free people cannot survive under a Republican constitution unless they remain virtuous and morally strong. John Adams put it most succinctly when he said, quote, Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Which plays into the next idea. Without religion, the government of a free people cannot be maintained. So we're only three ideas into this thing, and we are already walking on thin ice with the leftist woke mob. I mean, who the hell are we to talk about natural law, virtuosity, morality, and religion? America has no room for that nonsense. George Washington said this in his farewell address, quote, Let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Alexis de Tocqueville visited the U.S. in 1831. He's the author of the book Democracy in America, and he observed, quote, The religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. He goes on to explain, All sects preach the same moral law in the name of God. 
He observed that while there was a separation of church and state, meaning religious leaders were not sanctioned by the government like in Europe, there certainly was no separation of state and religion. It gets better. All things were created by God, therefore upon him all mankind are equally dependent, and to him they are equally responsible. And just in case you're confused by God, Skousen means the big G God. Not all the little G gods that your leftist friends and family run around worshiping, like abortion, climate change, the environment, a political figure, a political party, a political agenda, a sexual or gender-related preference. The author points out that, quote, the American founding fathers considered the existence of the creator as the most fundamental premise underlying all self-evident truths. Every self-evident truth enunciated by the founders is rooted in the presupposition of a divine creator. God's laws constituted a moral code clearly distinguishing right from wrong. Come to think of it, that makes a lot of sense. What else explains the motto of the United States, in God we trust? Look at how much effort the left wing puts into tearing down religion and morality. Abortion, no prayer in schools, gay marriage, transgenderism, gender fluidity, ruthlessly promoting immoral behavior, hookup culture, divorce. The previous episode goes into this in much more detail. Let's keep rolling. The core unit which determines the strength of any society is the family. Therefore, the government should foster and protect its integrity. Again, please listen to episode 235. For the communists, along with the destruction of religion, the tearing down of the traditional nuclear family is one of their primary goals for good reason. Both are part of the foundation of America. If you damage the foundation, you know eventually the structure above it will crumble. Next up, the most promising method of securing a virtuous and morally stable people is to elect virtuous leaders. Oh boy, we really stepped in it here. See, we don't elect virtuous leaders in America. Only the corrupt, the compromised, and the morally challenged seem to rise to the top of national leadership. Think about it. Biden, Pelosi, Cheney, Boehner, Ted Kennedy, Richard Burr, Richard Blumenthal, Al Franken, Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, Adam Schiff, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Trey Gowdy, Barney Frank, Chris Dodd, Bob Menendez, Charlie Rangel, Anthony Weiner, Maxine Waters, Henry Waxman, Harry Reid, Paul Ryan, Barbara Boxer, Diane Feinstein, Adam Kingsinger, Eric Swalwell. I could go on and on, but we have a lot more to cover here. It would be one thing if we elected scoundrels that had limited power, but as you will see as this episode unfolds, the power wielded by Washington, D.C. is virtually unlimited, and 99% of it is unconstitutional. Next up, all men are created equal. Because of that fact, the author says, they can only be treated as equals in the sight of God, in the sight of the law, and in the protection of their rights. The dual justice system in America is in direct violation of this principle. I'm referring to the one for well-connected national Democrats and the one for everyone else. Skousen puts it this way, quote, The founders recognize that society should seek to provide equal opportunity, but not expect equal results. Provide equal freedom, but not expect equal capacity. Provide equal rights, but not equal possessions. Provide equal protection, but not equal status. 
provide equal education opportunities, but not equal grades. Continuing the theme, the proper role of government is to protect equal rights, not provide equal things. It's the idea of a meritocracy. Your advancement is based on your individual ability or achievement. Work hard and possibly make it. Sit on your ass and get nothing. Within a short period of time, America, with like 5% of the world's population and land mass, became the most prosperous, the best educated, and the most generous nation on earth. Something no other nation in human history can claim. Hmm, can't imagine why that might have happened, can you? While he was on the topic of equal opportunity and meritocracy, the author points out something that is not obvious to the average public school-educated American. That federal government involvement in welfare is completely and utterly unconstitutional. Today, it cripples America's finances and our moral fiber. Because the Constitution does not delegate the power of making welfare payments to the federal government, the founders and the Constitution put it in the hands of state and local communities. Next up, mankind are endowed by God with certain unalienable rights. In other words, rights do not come from government, a king, or an emperor. They come from God. Governments are there to protect those God-given rights. I want to pause and repeat that because I don't think the average public school-educated American understands and internalizes this truth. Rights, your rights, do not come from the government. They come from God, or they come from natural law, if you prefer. Government's only purpose is to protect those God-given or natural rights. Doesn't that truth make life so much easier? Evaluate every government action through that lens and you will see more clearly than you have ever seen in your life. The two most basic natural rights are life and liberty. Anything the government does to infringe on either of those should be scrutinized and opposed. Things like the right of self-government, freedom of choice, and a whole host of things. Choose your mate, your profession, natural right to self-defense and personal property. The freedom to speak freely, to assemble, freedom of association, to petition the government that works for you. You have the natural right of privacy, the right to use the earth's natural resources, the natural right to a fair trial. All of it should be protected by the government. When the government infringes on any of those things, the government fails to be legitimate and therefore should not be followed and the leaders of the government that are doing the infringing need to lose their jobs. Friedrich Bastiat put it this way, quote, Life, liberty, and property do not exist because men have made laws. It was the fact that they existed beforehand that caused men to make laws for the protection of them in the first place. Next up, the God-given right to govern is vested in the sovereign authority of the whole people. This simply means that rulers are servants of the people and the power to remove rulers rests with the people. This concept has been completely turned upside down in America specifically, but the West generally. Our elected officials, as we've already determined, most of them are corrupt, but they've become oligarchs. Incumbents win over 90% of the time. Evil and corrupt people like Joe Biden, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, and Harry Reid remain in positions of power for decades. So what happens when our so-called leaders violate this principle? The next principle answers that question. The majority of people may alter or abolish a government which has become tyrannical. 
John Locke explained, when the legislators transgress or breach the trust of the people, they forfeit the power the people had put into their hands. Think about America today. The people in D.C. wield enormous power, legislatively and related to the police power and law enforcement. Look at how they pursue Donald Trump. Look at the treatment of the January 6th protesters. Look at how the FBI, government officials and intelligence agencies, are and were involved in social media censorship over the last few years. A direct and obvious First Amendment violation. Consider the massive voter fraud in several Democratic-controlled counties in battleground states that is deployed to defeat Republicans and elect corrupt Democrats. Look at the corruption at the Census Bureau that committed fraud and stole six House seats from the Republicans. Look at what the unconstitutional Federal Reserve has done to the value of the dollar. Look at the national debt. Look at the corruption in D.C. Look at how foreign adversaries have bribed our elected officials. What choice do the people have at this point but to abolish the government due to its corruption and tyranny? If you ask me, there's no other choice. Hold on until the end of the episode where I offer my solution to this problem. The next principle is, the United States of America shall be a republic. In other words, we are not a democracy. When you hear your friends, politicians, and or talking heads talk about things that endanger our democracy, you have to understand that they are one of two things, ignorant or idiots. A democracy means 50 plus 1, majority rules. The Founding Fathers did not want that form of government because minorities would always get screwed over. We are a constitutional republic where our elected officials are elected democratically, i.e. 50 plus 1 wins, but that is the extent of democracy in America. Next up, a constitution shall be structured to permanently protect the people from the human frailties of their rulers. The Founders feared government, specifically the power that it could wield if not held in check. George Washington once said, quote, Government is not reason. It is not eloquence. It is force. Like fire, it is a dangerous servant and a fearful master. Yep, that sounds like today's federal government. It's important for everyone to realize that the Constitution will never be obsolete, regardless of how many centuries pass since its writing because it was designed to curb something that will never change. Human nature, which is a sinful nature. Mix in power, control, and money, and we get what we have today. A bunch of corrupt legislators who are bankrupting the country morally and financially. Next up, life and liberty are secure only so long as the rights of property are secure. Without property rights, you can't have a civilized society. There would be no incentive to be industrious and invest and make improvements and take risks. Life would be about the survival of the fittest or the survival of the biggest, most violent, powerful gangs. Ludwig von Mises put it this way, quote, Only nations committed to the principle of private property have risen above penury and produced science, art, and literature. There is no experience to show that any other social system could provide mankind with any of the achievements of civilization. End quote. No one has articulated the importance of life, liberty, and property better than Justice George Sutherland, a former Supreme Court justice, when he wrote, quote, The three rights are so bound together as to be essentially one right. To give a man his life but deny him liberty is to take from him all 
that makes his life worth living. To give him liberty, but take away his property, which is the fruit and badge of his liberty, is to still leave him a slave. This is where the concept of taxation as theft comes into play. You are forcibly taking someone's property without their consent. You can expand that thought to the idea of inflation as theft as well, because it steals the value of the dollars you have, again, without your consent. John Adams said, quote, property must be secured or liberty cannot exist. As you might expect, after private property comes free market economics. The highest level of prosperity occurs when there is a free market economy and a minimum of government regulations and interference. The author describes three laws of economic freedom which a nation must maintain if its people are to prosper at the maximum level. The first one is the freedom to try followed by the freedom to buy, followed by the freedom to sell, and finally the freedom to fail. The greatest impediment to economic freedom and prosperity is government interference in the market. Pick a problem in the economy and I bet the federal government has a hand in it. Historically, this took the shape of price and wage controls, putting their hand on the scales of production and the or supply side of the equation by granting favors, subsidies, and other advantages to certain players. The government interferes on the demand side of the equation with government spending as those dollars distort the free market. The only thing the government should do is enforce the law, prevent monopolies from forming, enforce laws against fraud and other illegal activities. It is in this chapter that the author touches on the idea of money, the American dollar. He reminds his readers something that I've talked about extensively. That is, that the Constitution is very clear in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 5, that Congress has the power to, quote, coin money, regulate the value thereof, and a foreign coin, end quote. Today, as I've mentioned before, the unconstitutional Federal Reserve literally prints U.S. dollars backed by nothing, and their latest scam is central bank digital currency. Check out episode 216 if you want to puke over what the Fed has in store for you and your money. Next up, the government should be separated into three branches, legislative, executive, and judicial. That's followed by, a system of checks and balances should be adopted to prevent the abuse of power. Unfortunately for Americans, the legislative branch has largely abdicated its power and duty to serve as a check against the other two branches. As the executive has expanded its power over the last 100 years, and liberal members of the judiciary legislate from the bench on a fairly regular basis. It's a pathetic and completely avoidable plague on the nation. There's another check and balance not mentioned by the author here, and that is the individual states who voluntarily join the union with certain assurances. It's like a contract, or some constitutional scholars call it a compact. If you sign a contract and the other party breaches it, you are no longer bound by that contract. As a matter of fact, you may be able to collect damages. My contention is, given the misbehavior or breach of contract by the federal government that the states created, the individual states are under no obligation to continue being part of the union, something called secession. Hold on to that idea as it will come up again at the end of the episode. Next up, the unalienable rights of the people are most likely to be preserved if the principles of government are set forth in a written constitution. That's simple enough. Next up, only limited and carefully defined powers should be delegated to government. 
all others being retained by the people. This is an extremely important concept, so stay with me here. Many state legislatures were reluctant to ratify the Constitution because they feared encroachment of the federal government on the rights of the states and the people, which explains why we got the first ten amendments to the Constitution known as the Bill of Rights. Without the promise of those amendments, the United States would never have been formed. And while the First and Second Amendments are the most recognized, the Tenth Amendment is arguably the most important. All powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Check out 120, The Truth About the Tenth Amendment, for a deep dive into that topic. The passage of the 17th Amendment which removed the appointment of U.S. senators from the state legislatures, moving their election to a popular vote, removed the one hard-coded protection that the states had in D.C. Why the hell would a state vote for an amendment that hurts their chances of reigning in the federal government? I'm baffled by that, to be honest with you. Three-fourths of the states ratified an amendment that limited their power. That, my friends, is going to be a story for another podcast episode, because i got to figure that one out. Continuing the theme of the importance of the Tenth Amendment, strong local self-government is the keystone to preserving human freedom. The majority of issues that are in our life should be addressed at the local level. Those elected officials are a hell of a lot more accessible to you than some corrupt representative in D.C. The other reason this is important is the concept known as decentralization, the subject of episode 182. The federal government is centralized. All their solutions equate to one-size-fits-all. America is comprised of 50 states and hundreds, if not thousands, of ethnic groups and communities. Not every problem requires a hammer, as prescribed by D.C. We don't need socialized medicine, i.e. Obamacare. Thank you very much, but we can figure that out on our own. We don't need corrupt, failed, and unconstitutional federal agencies like the EPA telling us how to deal with rainwater runoff in our community, or the CDC demanding that we inject ourselves with an often toxic and sometimes deadly experimental so-called vaccine. Nor do we need the Department of Education weighing in at all on the education of our children. Here is the idea of decentralization described by Thomas Jefferson in a letter to Joseph Cable in 1816. Quote, the way to have good and safe government is not to trust it all to one, but to divide it among the many, distributing it to everyone exactly the functions he is competent to perform best. He continues, let the national government be entrusted with defense of the nation and its foreign and federal relations, the state governments with the civil rights, laws, police, and administration of what concerns the state generally. The counties with the local concerns of the counties and each ward or township direct the interest within itself. He goes on. It is by dividing and subdividing these republics from the great national one down through all its subordinations until it ends in the administration of every man's farm by himself, by placing under everyone what his own eye may superintend, that all will be done for the best. What has destroyed liberty and the rights of man in every government which has ever existed under the sun? The generalizing and concentrating all cares and powers in one body, no matter whether of the autocrats of Russia or France or the aristocrats of the Venetian Senate, end quote. Or, I might add, the corruptocrats and oligarchs currently serving in our government at the highest levels. 
Next up, a free people should be governed by law and not by the whims of men. As we've discussed previously, America was founded on the idea of law, not men. We broke away from a country ruled by men, or better put, a king. The founders were through with that type of shit. This next one should scare the crap out of you. A free society cannot survive as a republic without a broad program of general education. In other words, the importance of an educated electorate. As I demonstrated in the previous episode, the effort to dumb down America's children in the public schools is purposeful. Think about how bad it is. You've got the alphabet soup conspiracy media repeating on a loop anything the National Democrats PR folks put out, most of which is absolute garbage, gaslighting, and lies. Yet, it works because the Democrat voter base is dumbed down to such an extent that they cannot think critically. They can't think for themselves. They just blindly follow their overlords and the propaganda. One of the best examples I can provide is, look at how the lamestream press demonizes Republican candidates for major office. Even milquetoast candidates like Bob Dole, Mitt Romney, and John McCain are crucified in the press. Trump is a whole different story. But unlike Dole, Romney, and McCain, he actually fights back, which ramps up the attacks. The end goal is for Democrat voters to not even consider voting for someone with an R in front of their name because they're evil, racist, MAGA, want to take away your health care, love mass shooters, they're Bible thumpers, transphobic, homophobic, genderphobic. More recently, we've seen the gaslighting and lies about price inflation. Joe and Kamala just both of them recently gave speeches telling Americans that inflation is coming down, as are their energy prices, leaving you with more money to spend on school supplies, replacing your dishwasher, or taking a vacation. I think that was Kamala. It's like hypnosis. Dear voter, don't believe your eyes when you look at your grocery store receipt or your savings account balances. Everything is fine. What's my point? My point is the electorate is so ignorant, stupid, and or apathetic that a junior senator from Illinois who spends 20 years with a preacher like Jeremiah Wright, a man who opposed born-alive bills while serving in the Illinois Senate, can be elected president. And then a few short years later, a woman who was the personification of evil and incompetence, Hillary Clinton, receives tens of millions of votes then that's followed by a senile, lifelong liar, plagiarist, blowhard, money launderer, and influence peddler. The dumbing down of the Democratic electorate is complete. Next up, a free people will not survive unless they stay strong. Essentially, this principle is peace through strength. Prepare for war, be vigilant so you never have to go to war. This is followed by this gem and completely ignored principle. Avoid entangling alliances. The author puts it this way, quote, peace, commerce, and, and honest friendships with all nations, entangling alliances with none. The United States was never meant to be the world's policeman. In his farewell address, George Washington warned the nation to avoid foreign entanglements. We're on the home stretch here, folks. Up next, as if saving the worst for last, the author presents this. The burden of debt is as destructive to human freedom as subjugation by conquest. The founding fathers hated borrowing money because they knew, as Proverbs 22.7 says, the borrower is a slave to the lender. The author puts it this way. 
That generation of leaders felt that the wars, economic problems, and debts of one generation should be paid for by the generation which incurred them. They wanted the rising generation to be genuinely free, both politically and economically. Not doing so was looked on as having the next generation being born into bondage and involuntary servitude. What do our elect officials do year after year, decade after decade? Increase the national debt. It's pure evil. In 1960, the national debt was less than $400 billion. Today, that's the annual interest payment on the national debt. And finally, the United States has a manifest destiny to be an example of a blessing to the entire human race. This principle was fulfilled a thousand times over. But with success often comes corruption. After watching United States leaders, military, intelligence community, wage real or silent war on numerous regimes all over the world from South America to the Middle East, assassinating, deposing, wreaking havoc, the United States is almost universally hated around the world. Look no further than the recent headline that highlighted the fact that half of the world is not sanctioning Russia as the United States is demanding or the fact that nations are flocking to join BRICS so they no longer have to transact in U.S. dollar and be subjected to U.S. manipulation. I hate to only complain and state the obvious, therefore I'm always searching for solutions, or at the very least the root cause of a particular problem being discussed. In this case, the case against the federal government is very simple. The limited powers delegated to the federal government by the states that voluntarily joined the Union have been broadened to a point where they are almost unlimited. I've said it dozens of times, Washington, D.C. is beyond reform. The few good people among the 545 who rule us are far outnumbered, and the corruption among the bloated, unconstitutional federal agencies is damn near impossible to clean up. The only possible solution that I can come up with that might save the country or at least part of it, is state secession. States must cut ties with the filthy, corrupt, and bankrupt federal government. If you're interested in the topic of succession, check out episodes 87, 88, 128, and 192. And that's the truth about the 5,000-year leap, 28 ideas that changed the world. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and share the show with your friends, like-minded or otherwise.